the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, good morning to everyone. Just give you a heads up what we're going to be doing today. We finished up Philippians last week. We're going to start next week. The preaching will begin to focus more on Advent. But this week, at the invitation of the leadership team and the board and the gifts discernment, I want to focus on uh, this launch of our new service team. So this is next week. We're, we're moving ahead to a time when you're going to actually be signing up for those teams. So I, I want to prepare you, if you're a member here, if you're active here with our fellowship, um, for that day. So here's what I want to start today. I want to start by you looking around at who is here. Like just Actually, we've got a number of visitors. You're, we are so glad you're here. I'm particularly thinking about those who are active in our fellowship here. Look around yeah, seriously, like look around for a minute and see who's here, okay? All right, good. You got it? So it's been a long 20 months since this pandemic started. We've, we've met, we started as a congregation meeting online. Rich, I think you may need to turn that down a little. We're getting, we're blasting them away here, Rich. Okay. We as a congregation have met online together. We went out and met under those oak trees out there. We, uh, we then moved back inside, only then to move back online. And we finally are now, since Palm Sunday, meeting here. And so one of the strange things that's happened for many of us, especially those who have been attending Sunday worship all our lives, is all of a sudden you realize, I don't have to go to church. Right? No one, for a while, no one's expecting me. I'm not signed up to do anything. Maybe some of you, for the first time in your life, felt some genuine freedom to either opt in or opt out of Sunday morning worship. I had this experience this summer. I was on sabbatical for a few months, and this was the first time in a long time I wasn't preaching on Sunday. My wife wasn't part of the praise team. No Sunday school teachers were expecting my kids. And, you know, if I didn't go to church, no, it didn't. Nobody knew, right? No pressure. And what happened this summer when I found myself worshiping with God's people is I would think again and again, I am so glad to be here. I really felt that. I had this feeling of like the songs, the service felt too short. I wanted more songs. The sermon felt too short. I was glad to be there. I wanted to be there. I was opting in to be there. And I think from time to time, we need that reminder that we are opting in. Because here's the reality. The days of cultural Christianity are melting away very, very fast. Here's what I mean. 
the days, and you can remember when the expectation in Columbiana or Mahoney County, whatever, there was an expectation that you would show up, you were active, a part of a congregation, okay? Those days are gone. And if anything, COVID just accelerated those days. Now more than ever, you do not accidentally find yourself at church. You don't find yourself here because this is the best place to make business context, okay? You do not accidentally finding you. You're opting in. And there's a benefit to that. Because you're forced to make that decision, do I opt in or do I opt out? And you get some clarification. Why am I here? And I, the reason I ask you to look around is I want you, as a member here at Midway, to be encouraged. You are surrounded by people who have opted in, who are, again, deeply committed to this local expression of the body of Christ, and more importantly, to Jesus Christ. Like, we're not, we're not as big of a community as we were 10 years ago. Even four years ago when I arrived, we have buried a lot of faithful members in those four years. And here's what can happen, understandably. Understandably, when you look around and you notice there's less people, you, you can move to a self-preservation mode. And what I mean is, how are we going to keep this place going? And, and I've heard a number of people say this, and I think it's a fair question. We need more people. That is great to want more people in your fellowship. But here's the question I want you to keep going back. If you are one of those people that are asking those questions, that question, that's good. You keep asking yourself, why? Why do you want more people here? Do you want more people so we can fill up the pews on Sunday morning? That's not a good reason. It's not a biblical reason. It's not a compelling reason. Do you, do you want more people here so that we can survive? This church is a 200-year-old-plus church. Do we need some more people so we can survive? Because we're getting tired. We need some people to, to do the things we can't do. It's not a good reason. It's not a compelling reason. It's not a biblical reason. That, that's a self-preservation mentality. And I'm, I mean this honestly. I understand the, the, how it's easy to go into that mentality. But again, I want to keep, keep asking yourself, why do I want people here? Because I want you to want people here because your heart has been utterly captured by Jesus Christ. Because you believe this message, that this way of Jesus really is good news and hope of the world. And that you have this ache within you. You have this ache within you for those who are not following the way of Jesus. You ache to invite them into this community of fellowship with so many faithful disciples that are here right now. You want them to join this community. That's a good reason. So that's my first question. To go back, why do I want more people here? And the second question I want you to ask yourself is how? How are you going to use your gifts that God has given you to build up this community of faith? I read not long ago a pastor down in, I think he was in Nashville in Tennessee, and he, he mentioned that he, he believes that we in a church are in our second reformation. So if you remember 500 years ago, we just passed that mark a few years ago, the first reformation, the first reformation gave the Bible back to people. That was one of the great things that came out of the reformation. And he says the second reformation, which, we're in, which we are in now, is giving ministry back to the people. As we talk about the church, we've got to remind ourselves, you're talking about yourself. You are part of this community. So with that in mind, I want to turn to our passage today in 1 Peter 
4, 7 through 11. I think this verse is helpful because it gives us, it gives you a roadmap on how to arrive next Sunday prepared to sign up for one of the service teams. So here's, here's how it starts. The end of all things is near. One of the things I walked away with uh, from our series on the, the book of Philippians was how much Paul, and in this case Peter, are always living their lives in light of the future. So the expression we heard in Philippians, the Lord is near. It's like uh, Paul and Peter are calling us as followers of Jesus to work, to labor, to be very aware of what's in front of us, but then frequently to stop, maybe from our workbench, from our, our office, from our keyboard, and realize, look up and say, Jesus is coming soon. And then they want us to get back to work. The end of all things is near. What, is, what happens when we, when we begin with the end? What happens when we stop and recognize that history is moving towards an end point, towards a conclusion? I think there's something really clarifying about ends. There's something really clarifying to me that I realize my life is pretty short. Like, I'm getting older. I'm not maybe that old. But man, I'm realizing, and it just gets, it accelerates every year. Life is really short. Does anybody else agree with that? Like, I'm only in my 40s, and I'm like, man, what happened to the last 20 years? My oldest daughter uh, turned 13 this year, and I was reminded that the end of her days at my house are near. Way too near in many ways. And you know what happens when I recognize that when she turns 13? It's like a cold bucket of water dumped on my head. It wakes me up. It makes me realize my time with this, who, this, who still in my mind is a little girl, is so finite. And it pushes me to think, what do I want to do with the time I have left with her and my other kids? I get this really small amount of time with them. What do I want to teach them? What role do I want to play in the formation? That's something we're coming to later in the service in the dedication of our children. There's something very clarifying and sobering when we look to the end. And that's exactly what Peter says. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded. There are, there are various ways you can respond to the realization that, that life is short or that the end is near. You can respond with fear. You can respond with anxiety. You can kind of just live for the moment. We could kind of hunker down and isolate ourselves. But Peter says, hey, the end is near. Be steady in mind. Think rationally. As one person put it, preserve your sanity. And listen, so that you might pray. John Stott was a, was a well-known uh, theologian and Anglican minister. Uh, many of you have probably heard about him. He died, I think, about 10 years ago. He's written over 50 books. At time, in the, I think, 2005, named him one of the most uh, influential, 100 most influential people in the world. He established a nonprofit that, that trains uh, Bible teachers all over the, the world, in particular the global south. So here's what struck me. I was reading about John Stott, and towards the end of his life, he was asked, you know, if you had this time again, what would you change? This guy who did so much, he said, I would pray more. And the older I get, if I'd have heard that 10 years ago, I'd have, it wouldn't have made sense. The older I get, the more I realize that prayer is absolutely essential for the life of the disciple. Prayer is not optional for disciples of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. Jesus assumes in that great manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, if you are a disciple of Jesus, prayer, your life is going to be saturated in prayer. 
And I think, I think for many of us, we, prayer is a part of our life. Maybe it's before the meal. Maybe it's uh, when that hotline call comes out. And that is a good thing. Praying for others is, is essential. That is so important. We need to pray for each other. But I think we tend to, to miss some of the other essential parts of prayer. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, we, we contemplate, we behold the Lord so that we might become like him. We behold so that we might become. Think back to Philippians, that great uh, Christ hymn. We looked at this incredible passage that, that tells in poetic form this Jesus who had all the status, who had all the power, he gave it all up to come to earth as we're moving towards an advent to die a humiliating death on a cross before he's then lifted up and given the name above all names. And Paul says, do you remember? He says, look at that example so that you might become like him. Look at how he put the interest of others above himself. Now you imitate that. We need to spend time contemplating the Lord in prayer. I encourage you in your prayer life just to sit and contemplate Jesus, meditate on Jesus. Here's secondly, here's the second thing I want to say about prayer. Prayer is a time for you to soak up the love of God. Prayer is a time that you can just stop and allow God to love you. We're in a stream of faith that puts a lot of emphasis on doing. Like many of you probably grew up in families and on farms and with parents who put a high value on getting things done. I, that's, I get that. I'm a little bit more like that in my own personality right? And what, what happens is we, we think it's in the doing, it's in the service that we are actually of value, right? And then we can start to think of that's how we get God to love us. We just work a little bit harder. Remember Jesus, how he began his public ministry. Remember what Jesus did before. He goes off into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tested by the devil. Uh, he then goes out and serves. He empties himself out for people. He heals them but ultimately gives his life for, the life for the sake of others, what did he do? How did Jesus launch that ministry? Did he give himself a pep talk? This is going to be really hard. I'm going to be serving people. Some of them are going to really annoy me. And I'm just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to suck it up. Right? I'm going to suck it up and just try really hard. That's not how Jesus started his ministry. I don't think his ministry would have gone too well if he would have started that way. Sometimes we, we start out our service that way. No, Jesus starts out his ministry with this voice in his head. You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The father knew that before Jesus launched his ministry, he's going to need to soak up the love of a heavenly parent. Jesus needed the love of the father. Jesus needed the blessing of the father. I was just listening to a guy the other day talk about Man, how important that blessing of a father is to his children. Some of us didn't, some of, maybe you didn't get that blessing from your father. You need this blessing from the heavenly father. He needed the blessing of the father. He needed the strength of the father. Later on in this passage, when we finally get to service, Peter is going to assume that you are being strengthened by the Lord. Okay, we spend time in prayer. Listen, listen to me, seriously. We spend time in prayer not just to ask God things. We need to do that. We've got to spend time with God in prayer so we can soak up what we need. Like if we're going to serve, again, this is where we're moving in this sermon. If we're going to serve, 
We better soak up the love of the Father. We better soak up the blessing of the Father. We better soak up the strength of the Father. Okay? So we're on this road to service. I want you to notice, I haven't even talked about service. All I'm asking you to do right now is pray. Is to contemplate your Lord and Savior, Jesus, and to soak up the love of God for you. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. So now now as we've soaked up the love of God, we begin to turn outward and to love each other deeply. As John says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Okay, we allow God to love us. We give space in our prayer time for God to love us because we need it. Because we want that love to then overflow to others. Think about like a cup, right? You you pour that water into the cup and you keep pouring and pouring and what's going to eventually happen? It's going to start to overflow. It's going to start to spill out. That's what happens. As you allow God to love you, eventually that's going to begin to spill out to those around you. Again and again, the Bible defines Christianity. If you can define Christianity with one word, it's going to be love. Right? We can look to the Apostle Paul. Again, these three, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus said, by, every, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And now Peter, again, says, above all, love each other deeply. Except, okay, so if you're a child, just Take yourself out. Is anybody being forced to be here today? Like, you're probably not going to raise you. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, you're, you're still a... <laughs> My daughter. I hope, like, you're not being forced. Like, we need to, like, talk. Come up. We'll, have a, we'll talk afterwards because that, that's not good. So, I don't think nobody's being forced to be here. And I, I don't take that lightly. Again, like, going back, like, you don't have to be here. I am so happy that you're here and so encouraged, but you don't have to be here because you know what we learned during COVID? Man, there's a lot of good worship services on. Like you can participate in two or three worship services in one morning, right? You can hear, you can hear better preaching on the internet than you can here, right? You can worship, you can pray, you can read your Bible all with a cup of coffee in one hand and on the couch. You don't even have to get dressed. If you're on Zoom, be sure and get dressed because, yeah. But if Christianity is defined by love, love requires something that you cannot do on your couch. Love requires other people. Like, think about it. Why is, think about it. Why is God Trinity? Why is God three in one? Because God is love and love requires others. There is this beautiful image of a trinity in a circle and a dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit loving each other. Our God is a God of community. We need people. We need people to love. We need people to love us. And guess what? In Christian community, we need people who really annoy us. We need people who get under our skin, who we just do not understand how they could possibly logically arrive at that position or conviction or conclusion. We need this for many reasons. One of those is because when, once we, when we surround ourselves with people who just believe the same things we do, and do all, we begin to think that, you know what, Jesus actually thinks and believes everything that we think and believe. Like Jesus' preferences are our preferences. 
And you know what happens? Jesus becomes, he starts to look a lot more and more and more like you, okay? And other people, we surround ourselves with other people who are different to us to show us that our preferences are not necessarily God's preferences. That, that other people show us things about Jesus that we are not going to see if we just surround ourselves with people that are exactly like ourselves. Peter also says, because love covers over a multitude of sin. Love requires other people, and look, no surprise here, you get a bunch of people together, despite our best intentions, we're going to hurt each other. We are going to sin against each other. It's why we need in our community an environment of love and forgiveness so that when these tensions happen, which they will, we can handle. I mean, think about this, like, I... I, Think about it. You're going to have times in your fellowship where you disagree with someone. And, and sometimes what I do when I realize I disagree with someone, as I start to think back and I think, man, that person has loved me well. That person showed up with a meal for me when I needed a meal. When I was sick, that person checked on me. When I needed some words of affirmation, they gave it to me. That, that, I'm in a much better place then when I remember that with this person I disagree with. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Okay, verses 9 and 10. Now we're finally going to move into the service part of this text. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Each of you has been given a gift. You've been given a gift to serve others, to minister to others. As I mentioned, one of the the big shifts I think we're in the church is that ministry is going back to you. Jesus doesn't, uh, in his final words to his disciples, say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and find a pastor to make disciples of all nations. Paul doesn't say in Romans 12, which has some parallels with this passage, God has distributed gifts to the leadership team. No, that's not what we read. The call to make disciples is, guess what? Your call and my call. I didn't just receive gifts. You all have gifts. Each of us has a gift. And we've got to start as a congregation moving to a model where we begin to train and nurture you as disciples of Jesus to then nurture other disciples of Jesus. We've got to move ministry out from here, from this stage, out there. I think one of the gifts and opportunities that comes with these service teams is that we are returning ministry to you. Much more closely what we read about ministry in the New Testament than just like a paid staff, okay? You have gifts. I I honestly mean that. Like when I start to talk to you, good ideas emerge. And you have responsibility for those gifts as a member of the body. When you became a Christian, you were brought into a new household. We talked a little bit about that in Philippians. You were given a new family, new brothers, new sisters. We, we profess the same father now. And guess what? There's work to do in this household. Fred Craddock writes this of this verse. To be a responsible member of the household is to be a steward of everything committed into one's care. No one in this household, no one in the household is so gifted as to not have any family chores. So I was struck, I was read Craddock's commentary on this passage, and I was struck by this word chores. 
Like, if I had never worked on a farm before, this would have had basically a negative connotation in my mind. But how many of you grew up doing chores as a kid? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Probably 70% of you. I live in a city now. I live in the big city of Columbiana. And I, one of the things I miss, miss about, it's all relative because it did. <laughs> one of the things I miss about the farm is my kids having the opportunity to do chores. Like, so here, my kids have some chores and work to do around the house, like cleaning the rooms and helping wash dishes. You know what happens? Do you know what the consequences of not, like, cleaning your room are? Like, your room's not clean. That's, but on a farm, okay, when you're a kid, you're responsible, you have chores. What happens when you forget to, ch- to shut, the, shut the chicken coop up at night? Or you don't feed the hogs, or you just, yeah, we'll skip that milking. Like, the animals are in trouble, like, sometimes they die. Like, when you grow up on a farm and you got chores, there are, like, literally life and death consequences to those chores. Not only that, but there's financial consequences to the family. Like, I was always, I love, one of the things I loved about living in a rural area is I loved watching kids who were integrated into the farm. Man, you talk about a good way to raise kids. A lot of ways, there are things you cannot beat about uh, raising a farm, not to idealize it, but there's just some great things. And one of them is you have some ownership and responsibility of that farm. Uh, when I was in Illinois, I'd buy feeder calves uh, from an Amish Mennonite guy up north of me. And so I'd go up there and uh, he, he would often, as we were kind of figuring out which of these calves I was going to buy, he turned to his two young boys to physically sort out those calves. But often he would, he, he, it was more than that. He looked to them to help figure out which calves are we going to sort out and which ones need to stay here. Like these boys, they weren't climbing in and, and rustling cattle because their dad was making them. They were part of that farm. They were part of that team. If you're a, if you're a member here, you are part of this household. You are part of this team. And just like a family farm, and I mean this in the best connotation, there are chores to do. There is work to be done. There are expectations. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever been part of anything meaningful when there wasn't serious expectations placed on you? I was, yesterday I was in Salem. I was watching a movie with my family. And you know what? I, I, I went in that theater and I sat back in a vibrating chair, which is always kind of weird to me, but... Yeah, it vibrates, it leans back, and I had like this popcorn with this not-so-like-real-butter on it. And, and you know what was required of me? Like six bucks. Six bucks times six, and then, you know, what, yeah, but not very much. And it was good. Like, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the experience of just sitting back and just consuming unhealthy popcorn in a, in a, in a good movie. I do not want to center my life around that. I do not want to center my life around where I go week after week and just consume. In this household, we need you. We need you not just to do the work, to do the chores, but to help us. We're not the church we were 20 years ago, okay? We are a different congregation. Our community around us is different. Our world is different. We're not going to be able to just kind of keep doing what we always have done. And expect this place to be a thriving place where people are genuinely being nurtured in the faith of Jesus Christ. So here's what, here's okay, I, I encourage you to pray. Behold, contemplate, soak up the love. But now you, I want you to ask God, after you've done that, 
where am I needed in this household? Okay? What chores do I need to help out with? What gifts have I been given? I mean, what, what excites me? What am I being drawn to? Our passage then ends with, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Our service to our congregation begins with God. That's where we started. It recognizes who God is, and it ends with God. Like, you're going to need that. I mentioned this last week in Philippians. You're going to need, at times, in this work you're going to be doing on the service teams, you might ask yourself, why am I doing this? Nobody seems to appreciate what I'm doing. And this is where it helps to bring yourself back. I am ultimately offering this up as a sacrifice to God. Okay? So next week, again, we're going to have a time. We're going to, to sign up for one of these service teams. And if you are a member here at Midway or you're actively coming, we, we would love for you to join too. I encourage you to not start by kind of asking yourself, like, where should I sign up? Okay, adult discipleship, children. Okay, please don't start there. It's not the worst place to start because at least you're eager to sign up. But I want you to start just in prayer. Okay? Just soaking up the love of God for you. Allowing God to bless you, to strengthen you. To, to, I want you to hear those words that Jesus heard. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am so pleased with you. I love you so much. And then after you've done that, I want you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with these gifts you've given me? How can I serve this household that I'm a part of?